0: Man. So good to be back in the house of the Lord with you. Like we've said before, remember those who are sick. If you're uh, not on the prayer page and would like to be, uh, we can do so. But most of us here today are. So remember those who throughout the week have said that they were sick. Uh, remember our uh, new family, Sister Maggie, she uh, contacted us. I think that was yesterday. Anyway, she's sick as well, so remember her. That's Maggie, Maggie Brown and Justice Brown. But if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to First Thessalonians chapter one. New Year, New Book, First Thessalonians. By God's will, I would I would hope that we could get through First and Second Thessalonians. That's my prayer. Looking at many things through these two letters that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. One of the main themes, though, that should excite some of you is the second coming of Christ. That is what we will cover in, uh, in extent. Paul really answers this question, and we'll get into that. But first things first this morning is the introduction. So first Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 reads like, this. Paul and Sylvanus, that is Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for another opportunity to gather in your name, Lord, with these people, oh God, these people of God, and ask that you move upon us this day, Lord, both us who are here and our congregation who isn't here this morning, Lord, through sickness and other reasons. Lord, I ask that you move upon us and that you open up our hearts to receive from you today, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. And while you have your Bibles open, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. The book of Acts is a fascinating book, along with the starting of the church. uh, The Apostle Luke, who is the author of Acts, gives us a brief summary of the uh, missionary efforts of both Paul and Peter, Peter being the Apostle. Remember, if you remember your study in Acts, the Apostle to the Jews, Paul being set aside as the Apostle to the Gentiles, taking along a few different names, but mainly Silas and Timothy. later on, we remember when we went through the book of Mark. Mark wanted to be an, a missionary, but he didn't have the heart for it and, and and that's fine he He understood that in the mission field, and probably for the wrong reasons and the wrong ways he left and and Paul had issue with that. him and Barnabas had split ways in the missionary efforts over Mark. Later on in the gospel or in the epistles of Paul, though we see Paul being imprisoned, he says, Bring Mark to me. He's good, he's beneficial, if you remember that. So, but Silas, after that split with Paul and Barnabas, Silas and very soon after Timothy become pretty much Paul's running buddies in the mission field. And here we have a account of that. So, Acts chapter 17, the verse nine verses. Is, uh, is the church planning at Thessalonica. This is what Acts gives us, and it's a good place to start. So now, verse 1, now when they had traveled through Amphilopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbath reasons with them from the Scriptures explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. What a statement. Now they're talking about Paul and Silas and Timothy. These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason was welcomed or Jason has welcomed them. So these men who are upsetting the world everywhere they go has been welcomed by one of our own countrymen, Jason, and they all act contrary to the creeds of Caesar, reminiscent to the same thing that Jesus was put to the cross for, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So, in other words, they find Jason and those who were brought to the authorities. And that is the account that Luke gives us in Acts of the planning of Thessalonica. This is where we start at this morning. The first letter to the church of the, of the Thessalonians. is written by Paul in and around 51 AD. That's where we are in history. It's in response to Timothy's report when Paul sends Timothy to check on the church. According to our uh, history we have here in Acts, the, verse 10, if you're looking at, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So there, there is a coming into the city According to Paul's customs, he always sought out a synagogue first. He started there, and he multiplied as God seemed fit. And it said for three Sabbaths, uh, so for three weeks, he reasoned. Understand that. It said that he reasoned. He explained. He gave evidence according to the Scriptures to all those who were in the synagogue and would listen. And God added to his ministry as he saw fit, both from Jew and Gentile, men and women. There was a gathering, a following that came out of these three weeks of Paul being in the synagogue. We can kind of read between the lines and see how they're kicked out of the synagogue. And there's an uproar, and history would tell us through Philippians and other books that Paul was there about three months. So he's there for three weeks, and people are saved. And for three months, he establishes a church, a church at Thessalonica. And then this incident happens with uh, Brother Jason and others, and they send Paul and Silas away by night. They go to Corinth, and whenever they're established in Corinth, Paul sends Timothy back to the church because they they have to leave abruptly. They, the church is under persecution. And as we will see, Paul, along with being an apostle, along with being a missionary, Paul is first and foremost a pastor. He has a pastor's heart. And he wasn't just a church planner setting the church and moving on, setting a church and moving on. God used him in that way. But he cared for each and every person that come to faith under his ministry. He cared really for the church, the body of Christ, especially those that God saw fit to add to him. And he had a part in their uh, their belief. So he sends Timothy to go check on this church. And out of that, we get two letters. Timothy comes back and he says, the church is thriving. The church is doing well. and, And they have some questions and also I have some concerns and Paul sits down and writes this letter. So the, the letter of Thessalonians, first Thessalonians is is a prayer, a first part of edification and thanksgiving, a pastoral prayer, doctrine, and then a closing benediction. Very well put together. Paul being an educated man, knew how to sit down and write a letter. He didn't just chicken scratch something out. He had a purpose and a plan, and we will see that. So we're in 51 AD. We are after the events of Acts 17, uh, but just shortly, shortly after. This is probably some six months after the planning of Thessalonica. Paul, now in Corinth, he writes this church to let them know that He still cares for them, to lift them up, to encourage them, to answer questions that they sent by Timothy, and to give further instruction into Christian living. 1 Thessalonians consists of two main parts and three prayers, along with the key theme of the second coming of Christ, that that is the question that the church brings back with With Timothy, hey, we're doing good, we're under persecution, but we have the joy of the Lord. we're being sustained. Can you tell us about this second coming because it would be really cool if he would come right now right and, and that you could see the kind of the question building and the answer to come because they're under persecution and, and and they understand that suffering is a part of this and and Paul, no doubt in those three months that he was building the church had a lot to say about this, but yet The longing of a Christian to be with our Lord. It's there. Same as it is in us, and it should be as a true believer, we understand that there are things that has to happen. This Bible lays all of that out, that there are things that has to happen before the Lord comes back, but yet I still long for that day. Lord, use me while I'm here. Lord, build your kingdom while we're here, but just as Revelation ends, the Spirit and the bride say what? Come. Come. That's our longing. That's our hope. As a Christian, what gets you through this life? It's a hope and a life to come. It's a desire to do God's will here. Use me while I'm here. But if you want me, that's okay too. Right? Right? The world looks at us and says, we're crazy. You long for death. No, absolutely not. I want to enjoy every single day that the Lord has for me here and to prolong my life and to keep me in His will and to do. But if and when death comes, that's okay. The sting of death has no effect on the church. We still have effects of death of those loved ones and those that go on before. We still grieve. We, we've covered that uh, in this last year extensively. But there, there's no sting to it. We know those who die in Christ where they are. And we know as long as we persevere and we stay in the will of God and we do as His commandments command us and we walk rightly before Him that in our death we'll be with them and with the Lord. There's no sting in that. What can the world throw at you? What can, what can this world do? What can Satan do to you to scare you away from the kingdom? He shouldn't be able to do anything. He can end your life here. This world can end your life here. But that's just the beginning of a life to come. So they had a question about that. And we'll get into that. first and second Thessalonians. That is... The key theme is the second coming of Christ. But along with that, we're going to cover a few more things. Some key themes that are found in this book. God's wrath. <laughs> I'm going to start with that. Why not? God's wrath comes on those who reject the gospel. We're going to cover that. Jesus' death and resurrection is the basis for Christian hope. We're going to cover that as well. Christians are destined not for wrath, but for salvation when Christ returns. Christians who die will participate fully in the second coming. We're not leaving our loved ones behind, right? If anyone's read through Thessalonians, you know where we're going to go to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have went on before. And he expands on that thought. He's answering that question. Paul didn't just think of that. It come from an organic question of the church and him being the apostle, the church planner, the, the head pastor of that, he, he gives them theology and information. Those who respond to the gospel, so we're going to cover God's wrath as those who, who reject the gospel, but also those who respond to the gospel, they've been called by God and they continue to be called by God throughout their lives. God doesn't save a person. You didn't come to faith, and then you're left alone. Right? To figure it out. We receive His Spirit. We're going to cover that. And in His Spirit, He leads and directs us as we go through this life. Christians should live lives of holiness. He said, I thought this was a book about the second coming. It is. It is. We should live lives of holiness. Why? Why? Because He's coming to get us. He's coming for a bride who is without spot, without blemish. And you go, oh no, I have work to do. Yes, we all do. And God has graciously given us time not to be perfected here, but to work towards perfection, to work towards glorification. That doesn't give us a license. That's what this is. Christians should live holy lives. That does not give us a license to sin. Why? Because He's coming to get us. And He's not coming for the world. He's coming for the church. And the church does not act as if we don't have a king who is coming for us. We act as good citizens of a kingdom. Right? How would we act if... Well, this could get hairy. We respect the office, not the people. If the governor was coming through town, would we not clean up the streets... Will we not put on parades? Will we not put on our best and and say, "Well, it's the governor." What if the president was coming through town? Regardless of who it is, if the president was coming through town, we would call all of our sheriff's deputies away from their jobs. They would block off streets. We would we would do everything we could to present ourselves the best way we could, right? So why do we not do the same thing as Christians? God, Lord is coming. Jesus is coming. We should act like it. We should live lives of holiness. Man, I feel that. We should probably do that now. Christians must never ignore their responsibility to work. Jesus is coming, but we have work to do. Okay? The truth of the Gospel is confirmed by the integrity of its preachers. Yes, the ministry of this church is not going to get away from this book as well. Joy especially in suffering, is a mark of Christendom. Joy, especially in suffering, is a mark, I would say is the mark, of Christendom. We're going to hit that one a little bit today and then in chapter 5. Christians experience the realities of the new covenant now. Christians Experience the realities of the new covenant now. And lastly, hope, faith, and love are essential traits of the Christian. If you do not have faith, 1 Thessalonians, you go, wait, that sounds like 1 John. 1 Thessalonians would tell you that you need to check yourself. If you do not hope for the second coming of your king, you need to make sure that you are actually a part of the church. If you do not have love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 John, 2 John, I think 3 John actually touches on it as well. Uh, several. If you do not have love for your first, what? Your fellow brethren, your fellow sisters, and you do not have love for the lost, First John would say that the love of God isn't in you. And if the love of God isn't in you, then you have no part of God and you are in trouble. First Thessalonians, we're going to talk about that as well. So let's read First Thessalonians. If you have your Bible still, you can flip back to First Thessalonians. I want to read the first 10 verses. This is kind of the 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 opening and uh uh, Paul's greeting, Paul's uh, opening prayer, and his his overall thanksgiving for for the church. Timothy comes back, and Paul obviously hopeful. I, I would imagine that the apostle Paul w- would have faith that if God planted a church, He's going to sustain the church, right? That, that, we're not saying that Paul didn't uh, didn't know what P- what Timothy was going to bring back, but he didn't exactly know the details of what Timothy was going to come back. And when Timothy came and and he started off by saying that the church is thriving, uh, Paul is thankful for that. And we see that in the beginning of this book. So reading again our first verse, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now remember, this church is under persecution. What what an opening line. Grace and peace to you. We give thanks to God always for you, for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, consistently bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness, uh, steadfastness of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice for you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us of all of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord was sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. What a testimony! So that we have no need to say anything. Do you imagine an apostle called of God who is supposed to give instruction saying, I don't need to tell you anything right there. You're doing great. If we, if we could have a testimony like that, if the Lord could look at this church and say, you in your evangelism and your witnessing and your Carrying forth the gospel of Christ, I don't have to give you instruction. You're doing great. Lord, what a prayer to have. That's a prayer that I have for me as an individual. That's a prayer that I would hope that you would have, Lord, to use me in such a way that I make a difference. However that may be. Does that mean I go and stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and blow the Gospel of John until I'm blue in the face? No, just live your life among men with that prayer in your heart, praying constantly, Lord, use me today. And you will find more times than not just in your mundane Monday and Ordinary Tuesday and oh my Lord, it's hump day Wednesday and oh, Thursday, Friday's almost here and Friday I'm thinking of the weekend and Saturday and Sunday the Lord's Day and Monday starts over again. Just in that rut of a life, God does miraculous things to build His kingdom by your means. Imagine that. You are the means in which the God of the universe carries out His kingdom here. Paul said he didn't have any instruction for them on that. They were doing good. Verse nine: For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception you had with us, and now you turn to God from and how you turn to God from idols. Lord, help me to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us. From the wrath to come. So here, in the first ten verses, Paul's already talking about the second coming. He's already looking forward to answering their question, but he is establishing his answer to their question by giving evidence of them in their church. He's not pulling from uh, different. Things or I said or or this and that said. He said, "Just look at yourselves." And one of the evidences that you are truly the church is that you're looking forward to the second coming. So let's break this down. First, verse one. Just a few minutes here. Paul, along with his missionary partners, were uh, writing to the church in Thessalonica who are in God the Father by Jesus, whom is both Lord and Christ. Okay? That's, that's what Paul is, is first. He is establishing, making sure that they are reminded that you are actually a part of something. That you, you aren't just a fluke uh, I know you're being persecuted. You're hearing from your fellow Jews. You're hearing from your fellow Gentiles. You're hearing from your friends and your family. Some of them saying that you've got wrapped up in a cult, that you, you've you been wrapped up in emotion and feeling, and, and you've been pulled away from the gods of old for this new God. Uh, you could just imagine all the things that this church is hearing. This is a port city, y'all. This is a big Mecca a town, city, establishment, big enough for a synagogue and for multiple things. It's a a big place and it's Grecian. It's not Jewish, although there's Jews there. There's a synagogue there. It's Grecian with Grecian rules and Grecian ways and Grecian traditions and and Grecian gods. And, And along comes this a rebel rouser according to those in the marketplace, and, and he's pulling you away from what we know to be true to serve this God of the Jews? Paul starts off strong by saying that, they've yes, they've been pulled away from something, but they've been birthed into something far greater. The church of Thessalonica in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's they're in the Father by the work of Jesus, whom is their Lord and is their Christ. And Paul reminds them that grace and peace have been given to you because you've been placed into a different position. You've been born into something. You've been torn from this world and placed into a new kingdom. I wonder if Paul sat down with his pen as he wrote, and as I was was, was reading this, I, I like to uh, obviously not make myself Paul, but you know what I mean. Just put, put yourself in that position. I'm writing a, a letter to a new church, and, and they're under persecution. And I wonder if Paul just sat down when he wrote, to the church of Thessalonica, this this is four to six months, right? In a time period to the church, that's just a few months before there is no church. There's a synagogue, and there's a pagan temple, and you were either in the synagogue, or you were in the temple, or you were in the marketplace, and that's where the unholy people were, according to our scriptures in in Acts. The wicked man is in the marketplace. To the church. Just a few months ago, there was no church. The gospel hadn't penetrated the hearts of those that have come to faith. But now, Paul can write to these new creations, these new creatures, this new church. And he called them that the church. Not believers, although they are. Not to you people who are followers of Paul in Thessalonica. Not none of it, just to the church. To the body of Christ. He could have have took out church and put to those who are in the body of Christ, grace and peace be given to you. And then, could you almost imagine receiving this letter? I put myself in that position too. I'm new to this, right? It's hard for some of us to go that far back to when you were new in Christ, but if you could just let your mind Float back there, everything's new, everything's great, everything's going good, and then the world hates you, and you're like, wait, I thought this was supposed to get better, and it seems like it's getting worse. And in that place, and then you receive this letter from Paul. You haven't heard from him when when you snuck him out of the town, right, to send him on. and, and, And you receive this letter, and that's the first thing to the church of Thessalonica who are in God the Father and in Christ Jesus, grace and peace we give to you. What what comfort had to come from that? What joy had to come from that? That, oh wait, okay, we are doing right. That Paul still believes in us. And I know we're not supposed to look to men, but yet we do. Even Paul said to follow Him as he follows Christ, And we are to judge those rightly. We're going to get into that even in this book also. They held a lot of weight with Paul. Why? Because there was nothing and then there was Paul. Right? He come into this town. Here's Paul. He's preaching Jesus. And now he's gone. But yet, he's heard our report. See, Timothy's done come and he's left too. And he's heard our report. And the letter starts off. And it's not like Galatians, right? They didn't know anything about that yet, but but it's it's good to the church. Verses two and three. Paul, apostle, missionary, pastor. What that's some titles there. But pastor. His heart was for the people God gave to him. Okay? Yes, he planted churches, but he never stopped caring for any of the people that he ministered to. You see that through every one of his letters. He never stopped caring for those people. He never stopped caring for his people. He said something so bold that if it wasn't written down in Scripture, you would think that it was crazy. But he said, I would rather God take my salvation away from me if only it would save all the Jews. He said, my heart breaks over my countrymen. My my heart is broken over those who I haven't been able to reach. How much more was his heart towards those who he was able to reach? He had a heart, a pastor's heart. They gave thanks to God first for allowing them to be a part of the salvation of those in the church, the means by which they came to faith. What a privilege it is to witness somebody come to salvation. What a great privilege it is to be a part of somebody's salvation. Not that there's anything in us, but that you witnessed to somebody, you gave the gospel to somebody, they prayed, they received salvation, and you had a part in that. It's such a great privilege. I pray that all of us have that experience. I really do. Most of the time what we find is somebody starts something, almost like the Bible says this, right? Then another works and there's a watering, and, and then we see the first fruits of the work before. But to be with somebody from unbeliever to believer, what a privilege. What a privilege. Paul didn't look at that lightly. He didn't just go, oh, here's another church I'm planting. There'll be salvations. There'll be, there'll be. No, everyone was important to him. You see that throughout his letter said he mentioned them in prayers often to know that somebody is praying for you. What encouragement. Paul prayed for the church, for the body of Christ. He also prayed for the parts of the body. It's one thing to pray for God's kingdom to be built. Obviously, we should be doing that. But to pray for the parts of the body. That's why we say often, if you run out of things to pray for, start at this side of the church and go to that side of the church and just pray over the seats and pray over those who sit in those seats. He prayed for those individuals who make up the parts that are called by God. If we're special enough to be called by God to salvation, Paul said, you're special to me. That's what Paul said. And that's what we should say, not just as a ministry, not just as a pastor, but as as a fellow believer. If God saw fit for salvation to be given to you, if you believed on the Son and the Son received you, then I care for you because God cares for you. Well, I don't really get along with such and such. doesn't say you have to get along with them. You have to care for them. There's a a big difference in that. We just don't have a lot of things in common. You've got one most precious thing in common. You're you're both saved. You're both saved. Care for people. Specifically, he prayed for the church, but he prayed specifically in verses 2 and 3. Specifically bearing in mind their work of faith in the community their labor of love and their commitment of hope in the midst of constant persecution. Not just any hope, but a hope in Jesus Christ. In verses four through 10, Paul sets to edify the church and gives them evidences that they are the church. That's verses four through 10. Paul edifies the church by telling them he truly believes God set them apart and that they are of the body of Christ. Because Paul could look back and see certain evidences of true faithful fruit being born among them. And this is what he says to them. When Paul preached the gospel of grace to them, there was the power of the Holy Ghost. They didn't come in just words, but God was there. He was present. True conviction fell. They were convicted of their sin and they seen it as sin. Okay? That's the first evidence. They became imitators of the Lord. So it's not that they just seen their sin and yes, I am a sinner, but yet they received the good news of Christ. They became imitators of the Lord following Paul as he followed Jesus. They had joy even in the midst of tribulation from both the Jews and their fellow Grecians. They became examples of godly believers both in their personal lives as well in their practices and speech. Paul even breaks this down even further and says they proclaim the gospel to all who will listen as far as they can carry it. And that was their reputation. If you talk to old Jason, I seen him in the courthouse the other day. Man, they find him big for just having somebody stay at his house. Yeah, have you talked to him lately? He's still talking about that guy. He's still talking about Jesus, this Messiah, this Christ who has come to say, and that, that it would just, Multiply and multiply and multiply. I'm sure they had other things to talk about. Even while Paul was there, he made tents. There's things that you do, right? But if you sit down with a Christian long enough, God should come out somewhere. Somewhere. They turned from idols. They didn't just receive Christ as their Savior, but they received Him as their Lord. They turned from their old wicked ways and they embraced a new godly life. If ever there is an evidence that we can see physically of somebody being changed is a testimony that such and such isn't like they used to be. That is so roll off the tongue. Even those in the world say that you've changed. They'll try and use that against you. You're not like you used to be. You changed and we say praise God. Praise God. I'm not like I used to be. I'm changed. It's not because of me, but it's because of the Lord. They turned from idols and fully embraced the true living God. And lastly, Paul said he knew them to be truly converted by their hopeful waiting of Jesus in his second coming. They have a new hope, they have something to look forward to that they didn't before. This Jesus who fully, uh, who they fully believed had died, was buried, and was risen, and who was coming to save them from a wrath to come. Yeah, they were under wrath. Manly wrath. They were under persecution. But they knew that one day, the wrath that they were under, they're not under anymore. And that Jesus was coming to save them from that wrath and Forget what happens to me here. I'm saved from that wrath. They had a hope. So how do we apply that? Well, Paul was confident that the church in Thessalonica was truly saved and a part of the body of Christ. He he believed God was at work in the lives of those people because he could see fruitfulness of the Spirit In their lives it wasn't Apostle Paul saying I deem you Christian it was Apostle Paul saying I've watched you for a while and you're growing in Christ so something must have happened same thing we do here I don't have the authority to tell you you're saved or not saved only God knows your heart you he knows your heart more than you know your heart because the Word of God says that our heart deceives us into believing we're something that we're not if we allow it but Paul is saying you receive the gospel there's fruit that is being bore of that you have a you're waiting for a future betterness meaning you don't think that this is the best that it gets <laughs> i hope not right that's ooh. can you imagine that should break your heart that's some of what paul was talking about about his own countrymen they truly believed that this was it that this was this was as good as it gets Lord, if this is as good as it gets, we've been we've been shorthanded. But it's better for us. So as we look at this opening, I pray that we apply it to Our own lives? Can we look at our own life and say the same thing? Paul looked at the church at Thessalonica and said, You're thriving, you're doing good. I can't give you instruction on being a church, you're being a great church, you're truly saved. Can we say the same thing about our own lives? Can we take evidences of our own lives and say, There's true salvation? Can you have confidence? That you are truly in the body. Do you have any of these evidences present in your life? Have you received God's Gospel message? I would pray that we, if we did a show of hands, yes. I believe the Gospel to be true. Has it changed you? Has it changed you? You see that follow-up question? A lot stronger than that first one. Of course, I know Jesus is is real. There's, There's too much evidence to say he's not. But do you have a change in you? Have you forsaken your old ways and embraced the godly lifestyle of true Christendom? Are you hopeful in the midst of struggle? That's a big one. Are you hopeful in the midst of struggle? I didn't say, Are you not sad? Are you not happy? Are you hopeful in the midst of struggle? Are you waiting faithfully on Jesus and His return? Do you feel by the Spirit that you are ready to meet Him? Who comes to save us from the wrath that's set for the world? Are you uh, Romans 8 and 1? Are you not under that condemnation anymore? Do you feel in your heart of hearts that if the Lord broke open that eastern sky right now, that the wrath of God would not be set upon you? You can this morning. You can this morning. I don't mean to scare you, but I mean to make you think. You better know that you know. You better not think that you're ready. Those five foolish virgins and and, and the five wise virgins. The only thing that separated them is that one, the one set prepared. They prepared. And the other set thought they were okay. But when it come down to the night, they ran out of oil. They didn't have enough to make it. The only thing that separates you from the wrath of God is that we've prepared with the time that God has given us. Can you, or you can and you should, and there's no time. like Everybody's message is the same thing this morning. It's a new year. You can can start off this year the right way, and I'm not going to be any different. If you are not sure, you can be. Meet with God. Make God your God. Let Him change you from the inside out. Start off this year with being committed to the God of this universe and you will be better for it for the eternity to come. I guarantee. I guarantee. Stand this morning. These altars are open. Lord, I thank You for the ability to just come together to open up Your Word and to hear from you, Lord, we don't deserve to hear from an almighty God, but yet you love us so much that you give a, given us your word in physical form. Lord, not just in your Son, but that record was taken so that we can glean in twenty twenty four over two thousand years, and we can glean from what is, what was, and what is to come. Lord, I ask that You move upon us. If there is anyone here who does not know You as Lord, Lord, I ask that You set upon them right now. That You break them under Your holy conviction, not because of anything that we are, but because of who You are, O God. Lord, wrap Your love around them. Let them know that there's a better way. Lord, I ask this in Your name. Amen.